Hey everyone, just a quick heads up. Uh, we do love you and care about you and your mental health and well-being. We are going to be talking about suicide a good amount in this episode. It does revolve, the plot revolves around it a good amount. So if that is not going to be something that you feel you can handle, that is totally okay. We still love you. Um, just go ahead and skip this one. Thank you. In the wise words of Michael Jordan, fuck them kids. <laughs> That could be the theme of this movie, like 100%. (laughs) Every single time. It's so funny because it's like we, kids are so often in horror films and up to no good. Like, and I guess maybe it came from being like unexpected. Like people think of children and they think of like innocence and it's kind of a flip on that. Yeah, I guess so. I think they're also just inherently like creepy. Yeah. I mean, children are terrifying. I'm the oldest of like. 12 grandkids that are all very very close like all my cousins and I are very close and it's just like yeah I gotta say in all my years of babysitting I've seen my fair share of like some crazy stuff that kids have done but the craziest thing I've ever seen was I was at the Hamptons Children's Museum and this kid dumped out a whole bucket of Legos and just walked across it while making eye contact with me holy shit I was like okay Okay. That actually kind of relates to the film. Yeah. <laughs> I guess was, we'll get to that, but... <laughs> it was insane, dude. I was like, okay. Um, That's a baller move, though. Dude, yeah. That's Chris Paul challenging Michael Jordan to miss three three-point shots in a row so an entire camp of kids could get a free pair of Jordans. Yeah. And he said, fuck them kids. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Remember that time we watched The Lodge? You mean the 2019 psychological horror film that's loosely based on Rebecca? Loosely based on Rebecca? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I didn't know that. But yeah, folks, it's on Netflix if you want to go watch it. Nope. Nope. It's on Hulu. It's on Hulu. It seems like a very Netflix thing to me for some reason. Oh, no, it can't be because it's a good horror movie. Wow. (laughs) Netflix only makes bad horror movies. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm getting all my streaming services confused. It's on Hulu. Don't at me. Anyway. But do sponsor us. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I'm Nicole. I'm Topher. And we're the Horror Babes. Hey, babe. Yeah, babe. go through who made this thing we're gonna give you a rundown of the plot god help me um (laughs) i'm so glad that you took over doing plot (laughs) this one's a doozy um and then we're gonna do a deeper analysis of the film itself we're gonna go into some gaslighting themes yes the chicks we see you (laughs) damn (laughs) deep cut reference right now a lot of people love that song. It's a good song. It's, it's just fun. Not for a horror podcast. That's a deep cut. That's all I'm saying. That's true. That's fine. That's fine. But it's pretty popular. It is. It is. I like the song. Anyway, Topher, why don't you um, put me out of my misery and uh, tell us who made this thing? Wow, we're on to a fast start today. This is like our best one yet. Hell yeah. I'm ready to go. Caffeinated. I've had some whiskey. We've got another episode to record right after this. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm in it for the marathon. Okay. Okay. The Lodge is a 2019. So recent. So, I know. And this is actually a recommendation <laughs> from our good friend, friend of the pod, multiple guest, Primrock, aka Mark Dabuki. Yeah. Shout out. Thank you, Marky. Or as I like to call him, Marquis de Sade. Ooh. <laughs> it was directed by a duo that we love. Yeah. Um, Veronica Franz and her nephew, Severin Fiala. We know them from uh, Goodnight Mommy. What a great film. Love that film. It's so good. So terrifying. Superiorly creepy. Yeah, it is just nth degree. Yeah. It was written uh, by them as well, along with uh, Sergio Kosky. Uh, cinematography from a fantastic cinematographer, and I will be talking a little bit about that. But it is 
Timios Bakatakis, I don't speak Greek, I'm very sorry, uh, who is a frequent collaborator with Yorgos Lanthimos, director of Dogtooth and the Lobster and uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer. In fact, the only thing of his that he hasn't shot, I believe, was The Favorite. Uh-huh. Which is also <laughs> Lanthimos' like, most straightforward film. Right. All the rest of them are wild. Mm-hmm. That is H. W-I-L-D. Yes. That's how you spell it. You, Topher. <laughs> you never really say it any other way. <laughs> I save it for very specific moments. True. Starring in this film is another, uh, uh, now a horror veteran, right? Yeah, Riley Cuff? I would say, yeah. Elvis Presley's granddaughter? <laughs> I had no idea. Really? Yeah, yeah. Her mom is Lisa Marie. Oh my God. Okay. Um, also starring in this film is her father, Danny Cuff. Not really starring. He has like a, a, a vocal cameo in a few like yeah. moments. He has yeah. a few scenes as uh, Aaron Marshall, mm-hmm. father to Grace, played by Riley Cuff. Jaden Martell is Aiden Hall, who you would recognize as Bill from the most recent iteration of It. Great. Leah McHugh as his sister Mia Hall. Richard Armitage, a.k.a. Thorin Oakenshield. Ooh. As Richard Hall, hot. their father. I'm, you know, he is too. Oh my God. He's such a daddy as Thorin. Yes. <laughs> I love that. Uh, but he plays Richard Hall, uh, their father. And Alicia Silverstone, Cher Horowitz herself. You guys. As Laura Hall. You guys. I love this journey for her. I love <laughs> that she chose to do a horror film for the first five minutes of the film. Spoilers. This is, dude, this, this whole podcast is a spoiler. <laughs> what are you talking about? What? Have you been dreaming this whole time? Where are we? What's I... going on? Are we in purgatory? <laughs> What? What? Who? <laughs> they want you to take the roles. Oh, God. We've lost it. We've lost it. Worse than Grace. Um, anyway. <laughs> no, I love... I I love this little pivot for her. It It's great. Why doesn't she do more horror films? Like, she was fantastic in this. I get, she's doing a very, like, uh, Reese Witherspoon moment here. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like, I, um, I love it. Yeah. I. It's got a big... It's got, a, yeah, a lot of Reese Witherspoon energy. Yeah. It's really it's it's really cool. It's it's really cool to see her in in um, a role like this. Yeah, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought she really nailed. You know, I I was expecting her to be in the film longer. Yes. <laughs> but even though she wasn't, this was a really solid solid take. Yeah. Other than that, uh, production companies. Oh, sorry, editing from Michael Palm. Mm-hmm. This is Franz and Fiala's English language debut. They had not made an English language film until this one. Oh. Yeah, they've only directed German language films. They're that's an Austrian true. duo. No, that's so, true. Yeah. That's true. You're not wrong. I, I, I'm looking at the facts. <laughs> <laughs> true. Film Nation Entertainment and Hammer Films made uh, were the production companies behind this, and Neon took care of the distribution. Mm-hmm. Uh, it came out at Sundance last year, but did not have a United States release until February of this year, 2020. Got it. So it had uh, limited releases in L.A. and New York uh-huh. in theaters and then went straight to Hulu. Yeah, I, I didn't hear about it until I um, saw it on Hulu, to be honest. Yeah. And again, it was a big shout out to Prim for putting us onto this because it was fantastic. I really actually ended up loving this film. It took me two, di- two nights of sleeping on it to realize how much I've loved it. But it is a fantastic movie. Yeah, I think. And we'll we'll get in get more into this later. I. I was not hopeful after like the first act, but then kind of the false ending of the second act kind of reeled me back in. And after yeah. thinking about exactly what it means, it turned out to be kind of a cool experience, but it was tough to get through. It was. Yeah. It's it's a bit of a slog while you're watching yeah. it, but it's one of those that when you do look backwards, you realize how mu- how good it actually was. Yeah. So does that conclude who made this thing? Yeah. That's the whodunits. Whodunits. So you want to take us away on some plot, babe? I guess, again, Godspeed. keep me in your thoughts during this one. Okay, so we've got Laura, played by Alicia Silverstone. She's driving her kids to their father's house. Right. They're separated. Mom and dad are separated. Um, so that's when we meet Richard, um, who tells Laura that he plans to marry Grace, the girl... 
or the woman that he left her for. I only I only say girl because it is it should be known that she's way younger than yeah. There's a solid age difference here. Yeah, yeah, and it should be noted like I mean the the, the age difference is clear here. Riley Cough is our age. Yeah, and Richard Armitage and Alicia Silverstone are only like a few years apart in age. Yeah. So um, we we find out that he met Grace while uh, researching a book. He's a writer um, about an extremist Christian cult. Grace was the only survivor of this cult Mm -hmm. um, because the cult committed a mass suicide that was led by Grace's father. Mm -hmm. Already crazy. Okay. So. So now Laura, upon hearing that news. Decides to shoot herself in the mouth. In a shocking moment. I mean, dear God. you're si- She's just sitting there at the dinner table alone. And then... There's no lead up. It just no, fucking happens. No, I screamed. You did. I was like, I was like, shut up. <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry. <laughs> roommates Your roommates are were sleeping. sleeping. But well, I just screamed, holy shit. Like, yeah, it full was, volume. And I'm not a quiet person. Yeah. It was like a reflex for you. Because it, yeah. it was very shocking. It was very shocking. Um, so Laura leaves behind two kids, um, Aiden, who's a teenager, and then uh, Mia, who's a bit younger. Yeah. Young enough to play with dolls, we know. Yeah, we'd, we'd say like 10, 11, right? Yeah, so she totes around this uh, Barbie doll that signifies her mother very clearly. Mm-hmm. Send these children to therapy, please. Like, I, I can't even imagine. Uh, I don't think anything's going to fix this. I can't even imagine. So uh, six months later, Richard... Um, says that they're going to go to the lodge uh, and spend Christmas with Grace. The lodge is like in, they're in Massachusetts. Yeah. So it's kind of in. Yeah, they're going to like Western Mass. Yeah. Um, And it's, you know, so that the kids can get to know Grace and vice versa. So Aiden and Mia call her like a psychopath, probably parroting their late mother, Laura. Yes. Laura is probably called Grace a psychopath in front of her two children, and now they're... Yeah, I mean, this is a bitter divorce. Oh, death, death. I mean, someone died after it, so, yes. Um, (laughs) And so Aiden and Mia get on the internet, and they look at, like, video footage of uh, the cult, and we see a very just eerie... some uh, eerie imagery of... It's like a purple silk blanket... In just draped over people's faces. Like a death shroud, yeah. Yeah, and then um, when you uncover the face, there's some duct tape over their mouth saying, with like Sharpie written, saying sin. Yeah, and then we find out that the person who's videoing all of this is a young Grace. Yes. So, of course, when we're at the, when we're at the lodge, the kids, you know, it, it's, it's the evil stepmother trope. You know, so they're acting pretty hostile towards Grace. Yeah. And also, might I bring up this weird Thanksgiving decor that they have? They have like fake, they have like fake turkeys hanging everywhere and sitting on the table, but they're eating like lasagna and peas. Yeah. I don't, I can't tell if I think that's like really cute that they're like, fuck Thanksgiving or what? I don't know. It's unclear. I mean, we get a little sense of what those fake turkeys are later because we find out that they're hats. Yeah. But it is very funny that, like, we also, it's like, are they vegetarian? Like, that's what it yeah. seems to be. Yeah, which, in that case, that's, like, kind of funny. Yeah. I don't know. Like, and, wearing turkey hats while eating, you know, mushroom yeah. lasagna. Yeah. But anyway, so obviously they're acting, you know, less than nice towards Grace, and they don't want to even really have anything to do with her. Um, but Richard has to go back into the city um, to finish up some job. Yeah, some vague work project. Yeah, we don't really get specifics here. Which is so weird because it's like he's a journalist and a writer. You can't mm. you can do that remotely, isn't uh-huh. that the point? Yes. Like ugh, yeah, whatever. And so this is when we kind of start to see all of the Catholic totems around. The, yeah, there's like a crucifix, the, yeah. the Virgin Mary uh portrait, various other things as well. So with Grace already being uneasy having to you know care for these kids that truly view her as their enemy yes she's kind of being triggered 
by, Mm -hmm. and I I don't even use that word lightly in this situation, she is being triggered by all of these religious iconography, all all of this religious iconography, basically. Yeah. Which, no, no surprise to anyone, causes her to have, like, you know, nightmares about her father. And just like in any horror film, just, you know, weird things start happening. Like, Aiden watches her, like, get out of the shower and stuff. Yeah, he's, like, peeping on her in the shower and... Yeah. And so, I guess... Aiden decides, like, makes her, Aiden makes her, like, a cup of, like, hot cocoa or something. Yeah, she tries to confront him about the, like, peeping on her in the shower, and he's, like, to make up for it, gives her a cup of cocoa while they watch the thing. Yes, which is a very you move. Yeah. (laughs) Cocoa and the thing. That's literally your favorite thing to do. Yeah. Um, so. Drunk mochas, guys. Text me for the, uh, DM me for the, uh, recipe. (laughs) They're delicious. I can vouch so in the morning grace wakes up and everything is gone this family has been grinched yeah like that's exactly everything yeah. is gone <laughs> it really is a whole grinch moment like there's no food there's there are no, no christmas decorations all the, their stuff's gone the christmas ham is gone like <laughs> everything's gone tofu ham tofu whatever um i love christmas tofu yeah Sure. And uh, so, including Grace's medication, I should I should have mentioned this before that she is um, on some some sort of medication that she clearly wants to hide from everyone else. She's putting yeah. it in a very, you know, hidden place and makes sure that she takes it when nobody else is around. She even tucks it in the back of her pants when Richard comes to talk to her. Exactly. So it's a very it, it's they're they're telling us that she doesn't want anyone to know. So everything is missing, including poor Grady. I'm like, guys, leave the animals out of this. Seriously. Her pet dog, which is like her, you know, most favorite thing because she got it after she escaped successfully from the cult. Right. Um, to help her cope. So everything is missing. The generator has gone out. All of their phones are dead. So we think... And they can't charge them, obviously. And um, I should note that the night before, right? Doesn't he bring out... This is when he brought out, like, the gas. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because Mia's cold and he puts out the gas heater. Yeah, so Aiden puts out the gas heater and Mia's kind of... Grace is kind of like, uh, should should that... Is that normal? Like, should we even have that on? Inside, inside? yeah. Inside? And, and he's like, no, it'll be fine. It always makes that noise it always smells like that it always like this right. and that and that and she's like okay i also should note that this bitch knows how to shoot a gun um yeah before richard well. before yeah. richard leaves he kind of, they kind of have this like moment where he's like do you know how to use one of these and she like kind of looks at him with like a snide smirk and they go outside and she just like just yeah he's he trying like, he's like very paternalistically like kind of condescendingly he's like t- yes he's like he's like mansplaining this to her because she already knows it and she just like grabs it she's like okay and then just like shoots off a couple rounds just puts like six in the same hole like robin hoods it yeah so anyway that that is kind of like a, a side note that is important to know so and and it, it kind of shows that richard underestimates her even though he interviewed her for his book yeah. He knows so much, or he should know so much about her, and yet he's, like, mansplaining how to use a gun. Mm-hmm. You don't think that this girl who escaped a motherfucking cult run by her father doesn't know how to shoot a gun? I'm sorry. Yeah. Anyway, but Grace immediately is like, okay, funny prank, guys. Like, where's our shit? But then she notices that the kid's stuff is gone, too. So she's, like, questioning her own first instinct there. And then, obvi- and then we notice that the clock has advanced to January 9th, and Aiden comes up with this like story that he dreamed that the gas heater malfunctioned and they all like suffocated. Mm-hmm. And this is where he presents the fear that they're all in the afterlife. So then over kind of the next couple of days, Grace is going through her medication withdrawal, um, she's hungry. It's cold, even though they have a fire going. It's just not helping. She starts, and she's anxious, obviously, like throughout this whole film. Uh, yeah. She starts like sleepwalking and has visions and all of these dreams. And she's hearing her father giving a sermon. And this is when she just like leaves the cabin and decides to yeah. walk to the nearest town, which is crazy. 
She's yeah. going to, you know, freeze to death. But she ends up. And and she has like all kind of like a hallucination of her father during this time. Um, but eventually kind of just comes back to the cabin. Like it leads her in a complete yeah. circle. And or the lodge. Sorry. Um, I don't know what the maybe it's because it's bigger. Is that why you call it a, call Must it a be, lodge? Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. Um, buried in the snow. She discovers a photo of Aiden and Mia in a memorial frame. Yeah, with the little black ribbon and everything. It's like, what does this mean? And then the kids are praying over a newspaper article um, that says that all three of them died from carbon monoxide poisoning on December 22nd. Yeah. And this is when Aiden is like, we're in purgatory. Um, and, and Veronica Sawyers himself. Yeah. A.K.A. <laughs> hangs himself, but like, is attached to a harness. Yeah. And this is like, he he's, he's using this as like proof that they're dead, but inexplicably survives, you know, it's, like, yeah. It, yeah. He's like, no, look, Grace, we're all dead. See, we can't die. These fucking kids. Oh so God. unsurprisingly, Grace suffers a nervous breakdown. Um, and, Finds Grady frozen to death outside. Again, leave the animals out of this. God. Whenever there's a dog in any horror film, I'm just like, well, I'm going to cry tonight. Like, they always fucking die. Yep. One way or the other, they die. Um, so Stop putting animals in horror movies. Yeah. So she kind of enters this, like, weird... I guess you could call it like a catatonic state. Yeah, she's just sitting holding Grady on the front steps and just staring out. Yeah. And she, the only thing that she says is she kind of recites some scripture eventually. Yeah. After the kids finally admit that they were the ones who have been doing all of this. Mm -hmm. Because they're they're afraid she's going to freeze to death. Yeah. Um, so Mia freaks out and is like saying she's so sorry she left the door open. Grady got out. That's yeah. Apparently, died. apparently that wasn't in their plan, but it did happen. I yeah. mean, you know. So they admit having drugged her, hiding everyone's possessions in the crawl space. Um, he says, you know, that he faked the hanging and they played. This is the craziest part to me. They played recordings of her father through a wireless speaker. Yeah. That's fucked up. Um, anyway. So uh, there is also this scene where Mia is talking to Richard, her father, and is saying she keeps insisting that her phone is dead and that she's just pretending. But her phone was alive until um, until this point where yeah. um, Aiden is trying to restart the generator and it won't. Yeah. Um, and and he's like, oh, where's your phone? And she's like, it it finally died i talked to dad too much sorry so anyway they bring grace her medication but the damage is already done yeah um she's convinced that they are in purgatory and um must do penance to ascend to heaven Mm -hmm. so she does some you know terrifying stuff by putting a burning log out in front of the fireplace and kneeling down onto it. So this is just like the kid with the Legos. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Except. Way more horrifying. Yeah. So Grace and, or no, um, Aiden and Mia are hiding in the attic because Mm -hmm. like Grace has gone completely insane and justifiably so because these kids have driven her to the. They fucking tortured her. And. Stripped her of her medication. Yeah. That's not cool, man. So Grace confronts them saying that they have to sacrifice something. So she like lights the doll on fire. Yeah. Um, and Mia freaks out, obviously. Richard returns finally. Like, yeah, bro, finally gets back what there. The fuck? Um, and Grace is Grace is pretty much, like, inconsolable at this point. Like, just crazy. She's got, like, the ash all over her face. She's got burns burns all over her face. face. Like, it's pretty crazy. And she's got the pistol. And she attempts to prove that they are in purgatory by First shooting shooting herself. Well, she she fires, but the gun misfires. Yes. Um, But then she shoots Richard, killing him. So these kids have to watch their dad die. God. And Aiden and Mia run out to the car, but get stuck. 
Aiden's a virgin who can't drive, basically. Just a virgin who can't drive. Exactly. Way harsh, Ty. Um, (laughs) I love this full circle. Yes. It's hilarious. We brought it around. We brought it around. Back to Alicia Silverstone. Bring it around town. Exactly. Um, So Grace forces uh, the kids back into the lodge where they're sitting at the dinner table with their father's corpse. Which is incredible. Like, at this point, I was just like, okay. When I saw the blood marks and the drag, I thought that he had survived first. Same, same. But then you see that she thinks that he's one of them. Yeah. And it's completely unhinged, and I love it. Um, Oh, my God. So they're singing Nearer My God to Thee, which is um, a more popular hymn. So then the movie really does come full circle because she puts duct tape on their mouths reading sin and then contemplates the gun god roll credits the sound the sound i made when i heard her ripping the duct tape because that's such a specific sound right you don't mistake that for anything else you're right you're right and i just heard that and i was like oh fuck that's what's happening no 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 oh my god yup okay Uh. so if i'm being honest right after we finished this movie i wasn't sure how i felt about it yeah. I wasn't sure if I I thought I I thought I really didn't like it because it is hard to get through. It's like you said it's a little bit of a slog after their mother dies. Right. There's um, a lot of really just sad moments. Yeah, it's the cinematography in this is so cool but it, it it's just shrouded in it, it's shrouded in depression and it's yeah. just it's really kind of hard to sit in that place mm-hmm. um and i think that that's why i was like i'm not enjoying myself but i don't know if you exactly have to when you're watching a movie especially a horror movie it's supposed and, to make yeah. you feel something and one that's about like mental health and depression yes <laughs> someone just honked when you said depression <laughs> Like, yo, me too. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I I loved looking back. I think you're right, right? Like, I, I we finished this film and we're both just like, I need to sleep on that. Yeah, and I then, was glad that we weren't, like, recording soon after we watched it. Yeah. For sure. But now coming back to it a few days later, I, I find that I kind of loved having to sit through it. Does that make sense? Like, looking back, yeah. I actually enjoyed the experience because it, it advanced the it enhanced the movie so much yeah and in my mind like looking back at it i'm like fuck that was really well done you tricked me into thinking i hated it yeah during the second act yeah which is the last thing on the dock but i think i'm just gonna go ahead and talk about it now because that is called a segue i'm a yeah. professional y'all so shut up pricks it's new york everybody honks all the time for no reason I will shove your dick so far up your butt, you're going to taste it. (laughs) So this movie is kind of like an interesting plot sandwich. Yes. Uh, The first act, very thrilling. Third act, very thrilling. Middle act, very boring. But I mean that as a compliment now. Because it makes you go through Grace's mental state. Like, you have to feel through hers and the kid's mental state. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. And completely removing uh, Richard from the second act was really smart. Mm-hmm. Because you don't have an outside opinion on what's happening. There's no cutaway. There's nothing. You just live in that lodge with them. Totally. And I think that that's fucking brilliant, writing-wise. Like, to compare this to um, Goodnight Mommy, mm-hmm. the their previous, like, big, big hit. Yeah. That's a movie that you also live with the entire time you're there. Yeah. And also going back to Goodnight Mommy, um, just like this film, I really like what I really like what these uh, writers seem to be saying about children because mm-hmm. they're it's normal in life and also especially in horror films to have a good bad binary for children right they're either seen as like angelic or they're seen as like little evil brats yes right but in this one and in goodnight mommy you see children as more more of just humans like they're very well written yeah they're round yes like good intentions but they make mistakes 
And they make one that costs them their life. Yeah. In this one, you know? And their father's and this poor woman's sanity. And they just don't know. They're young. They're, you know, they're they're playing tricks on their soon-to-be stepmother, but they don't understand the gravity of that. Right. Because they don't understand mental health yet Mm -hmm. in that way. And they're broken in a certain way. Mm -hmm. They're acting out of pain. Yeah. And I really think that, that that is a that is a take that I really love that um, this duo's movies kind of take on children. Mm-hmm. They you you don't see them as you know people who don't who again like the good bad binary. Yeah, you don't not, see they're them. They're not Damien. That. No, they're not, and they're not little angels either. They're right. humans. They're people who don't know what they're doing, and they make huge fucking mistakes. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like you don't see that a lot. Yeah, human I mean, really humanizing children. Yeah, I don't know if we're gonna end up covering Goodnight Mommy, but one of the things I love about that is the same thing. They, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to pigeonhole these directors, even though after Goodnight Mommy, American uh, studios started approaching them. They're like, ev- they're like, yeah, every film we got approached with was about evil twins. Yeah, but totally. This one is great because it was a uh, from another writer. It was from a Scottish writer originally, mm-hmm. and they rewrote it. Oh, and that's right. Fixed the, they they fixed up the end for themselves. Mm-hmm. So when Koski joined uh, to help them punch up the script, they they kind of completely rewrote the original concept. Yeah, they, that, that's all, or the, rather the only thing they kept was the core concept and basically rewrote the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Another thing that this film I think does really successfully is even though the kind of the middle of it is a little bit of a slog, it's it keeps you questioning. Yeah, who who really is in like in the wrong here? Who is the Who's going to do the bad thing at the end? Right. It really keeps you questioning having uh, Grace's past and demonizing her from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then kind of having her just be not even stoic, just kind of like flat faced the whole time. Um, you don't know her intentions ever. Right. You don't. And, and I don't so, think she does. And I think that's such a do- powerful performance from Riley Cuff in this. Yeah, she's wonderful in this. Um but I think that that is really what keeps you in it is is kind of questioning like who is who do I think is in the wrong here? Yeah, you know who do I think is going to end up killing somebody? What's going to happen and what is going to you know? So I think that's something that this movie is really successful mm-hmm. with. And speaking of the cinematography, there's such a great characterization of Grace that mm-hmm. fails to characterize her. And I'm again, I mean that as a compliment of mm-hmm. like. That's you need a good visual storyteller yeah. who has an eye for these things because you don't even see her until the beginning of the second or like the end of the first act, basically. Which I think is a really smart move. You see her in those kind of like um, we see her fleeing the house, well, and, you and then we see, see her in relief. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I loved that shot, by the way. That was such a cool one through the glass. Same. I I think it was a really smart use of a reveal there. Yeah. Um. And then she's just a smiley, like, pretty Kristen Stewart type. Yeah. And I think that that is, you know, it's the point because it's demonizing her. And you, if you see someone and they look like that, mm-hmm. you're not, you're like, oh, they, they look harmless. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, if you're judging off of first impression. So it, it was a really smart tool for them to yeah. use to she's have us a, not see her. Yeah. She's just a pretty woman with a flat act- affectation. And you're like, okay, cool. Yeah. She's trying really hard. Like she tries to bond with Mia mm-hmm. over the dog and Christmas and everything, and how much she loves it now because she didn't get to have it when she was younger. Yeah. But she doesn't discuss her past directly with either of them and doesn't think they know. Yeah. And then you get like, I don't know. There's all these little great shots, and she's like trying to watch horror movies with them. She tries to make them food. She offers Aiden a sandwich at one point, and they end up just gaslighting her. Yeah. Throughout the whole thing, which. I didn't know that that term, well, I guess I guess I could have assumed that that term wasn't always a thing. It originated in the 1938 play Gaslight. Mm-hmm. And in that play, the protagonist's husband um, manipulates her, like very slowly, like, you know, right. ga- typical gaslighting, into believing that she's going crazy. And it comes from a part in the film where the husband is using uh, the gaslights in an upstairs flat, causing them to dim in his own. Yeah. Which was really interesting to me. It wasn't even, you know, a term um, really used until then. Yeah. Um, or, or actually kind of 
a couple of years after that, maybe right. even decades. But yeah, it started being used later in like feminist theory. But that it the whole it's kind of it, it, it's a nod to that when he pulls out the gas heater. Right. I think that's such a cool like. I didn't even think about that until just now. Yeah. And I, I started putting it together while you were talking about it. And then you said it. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, that's it. What so a it's cool like, little visual reference. It's literally just like gaslighting. Yeah. Quite That's literally. so wild. I love that. Yeah. Because you also get. So I mentioned up top that this was loosely based on Rebecca. Yes. Or rather inspired by, I should say. Mm-hmm. So for those of you who don't know, the plot of Rebecca, it's a 1940 film from Alfred Hitchcock. It's like what put him on the map. Yeah. Basically. The plot of that is that a woman is marrying, a man is marrying his second wife, uh, and the woman begins to believe that she's haunted by his ex wife or his uh, late wife. Mm-hmm. And like, th- it's about her going, losing her mind while in like this belief that she's being haunted by the spirit of a deceased wife. Yeah. So we get a lot of those nods here. Because there's a moment where you start thinking, like, when you start really believing that this is supernatural mm-hmm. and that they're being punished and haunted by Laura. Yes. Because of all the iconography, like... Uh, um, the, the snow angels. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, that, that was a great shot with all the snow angels out in the, in the yard. And mm-hmm. then the uh, portrait suddenly being back up. After yeah. she put it to, uh, of the Virgin Mary, as she t- put it back after she shook it down. Yep. The crucifix being back on the wall, like all these things, the pictures of Laura around the video that Mia shows her that they made for her dad. Yes. All of those things. Like, yeah. So you, it, those are all the nods to Rebecca. And it's to make it, it's a nice thing, like looking back and it's like, yeah, you were really trying to convince me that it was supernatural, that they really were in purgatory, that we were having this sort of like, serious Beetlejuice moment. Yes, it's a it's a fun um ride that they do take us on. Yeah. Like I, I I thoroughly enjoyed that they kept us guessing mm-hmm. um through all of that and took us on that journey with with Grace. So I do want to touch on how this movie deals with women and mental health. Okay. And maybe this is a um, cautionary tale commentary on it, but if it's not, then they don't deal with it great. Right. It's not. So anyway, I'll start with Laura. Richard is a fucking asshole to Laura. Yeah, he's a bastard man. He lies to her saying that Grace hasn't been staying there and that's why she has to like run out in the first place. Yeah. And Laura is clearly going through not even just like, you know, a really painful separation that Mm -hmm. is turning into a divorce. There are clearly some underlying issues culminating in her shooting herself in the mouth. Um, But here's the thing. Women have so often been written as hysterical. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, blatantly insane uh, to the point where the their physicality like again my the whole trope of like them falling into someone's arms yes. and, like they've often been written that way and written off as crazy if they have a mental health issue which leads Laura to um, hiding her her mental health issue mm-hmm. she very clearly has one yeah. somewhere or needs to talk to someone yeah and she's hiding it like and you see it so crystal clear when he tells her she smiles and says okay and then just walks and off. then yeah. walks off like that is an issue he doesn't take her feelings into account at all not even slightly, nor no. nor does richard take grace's um feelings into account at all and i'm which leads me to grace yeah grace is hiding taking her medication because she doesn't want people to think she's crazy. I mean, she's got enough going against her in that already. I understand her decision. Totally. But I don't think, even though Richard knows all of these things about her, he fucking interviewed her for his book. Mm-hmm. Um, she's already unethical, too. I was about to this say. Is like significantly unethical. Richard is not a good person. No. And her feeling like... She has to hide that from him, even though he knows everything that she's gone through. Yeah. Says something about the stigma. Yeah. Of mental health and of mental health issues, uh, no matter what they may may be in this case. And he he just he completely ignores Grace's feelings throughout the entire movie. 
And then with the kids gaslighting her throughout this whole thing. Yeah. That's really what's horrific about this film is someone being stripped of their medication that allows them to feel okay. That allows them to be a full person. Yes. Or feel like they're a full person. Yeah. Yes. And then playing on something that is wildly triggering for that person. Yes. And exploiting it just as like a prank because because you think that like Grace is the one that broke your family and Grace holds that. She carries that with her. She does. She carries that um weight of thinking I'm the reason that Laura killed herself and these kids don't have a mother. Yeah. She never wanted that to happen. You no, know, it of wasn't not. In, so like she carries that burden with her and Richard is also fucked up cuz he didn't like even just put away the photos of Laura yeah. or or the or the Catholic um, iconography that's all over the fucking house. Did you not think that that might be triggering for your soon-to-be wife that you interviewed so intimately that you could write a book about it? It's, you know? Yeah. I, like, I, I am, yeah. Richard sucks is my yes. thesis. You know, like... <laughs> so that's... I. This is where I'll push back and say I think it's commentary. Yeah. Grace never reads fully villain in this. No, not at all. She reads victim the whole way through. And, you know, victimizing women can minimalize them or reduce them in certain films. Yeah. I don't think it does in this. I think what it reads as is the men keep fucking over the women. Yeah. We have Aaron, Grace's father. Mm-hmm. We have Richard. And we have Aiden, who comes up with the whole plot. Yeah. Who drags Mia into it, who doesn't seem to super want to do it. Right. Like, she's the first one who breaks as soon as Grady dies. And she's also the one who's actually being nice to Grace in the in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Not, a, not super great, but you can see the walls coming down a bit. Yeah. You've also got Aiden spying on uh, Grace in the, in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. You've got... Uh, there's all these just, like, moments of watching men tear women down. Mm-hmm. Because, like, Richard's... When... Uh, with... Laura, Richard's like, oh, no, 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 come on, come back, come back. We need to talk about this, blah, blah, blah. He's like insisting and she like clearly doesn't want to fucking talk. Yeah. I also think it shows, I think it treats suicidality well Mm -hmm. because it's a spur of the moment decision. Right. She had a gun, but that's a thing. It's America. Lots of people have guns. Yeah, no, I I I don't know that she was planning on using it on herself, but she decided to and did it in that moment. I agree with you. Just the, uh, again, fantastic acting from Alicia Silverstone here to just make that choice. Mm-hmm. She just made a choice and you can see it all over her face. You can see it all through her body. She just, she just chooses. Yep. I think that's really solid acting as, as a side note, but I also think that that acting communicates the experience of what suicidality is actually like. Mm-hmm. So I think this movie's views on mental health aren't incredible, but they're understandable. Mm-hmm. They're better than a lot of the ones we see, right? It's For not sure. Michael Myers being a, a pure evil lunatic. Right. Right. It's a woman struggling to maintain normalcy, whatever version of that she can get. Yeah. And like I was saying, I think that that's the most horrific part of this movie is when mm-hmm. you really think about it, the things that this person is going through. Um, it's complete. It's actual hell. She isn't in purgatory. She's in fucking hell. Yes. Um, And I think that I think you're right. I want to believe that it is a commentary, but yeah. I kind of, I felt the need to say the silent part. Oh, absolutely. No, it's it, it's worth discussing. And I'm not saying I'm absolutely right here either. I'm just saying that I, it, it these are the things that I think. I would love to take away from this movie that it was a, um, a cautionary tale um, commentary of like, of like break the break the stigma and then if we can all talk about what's going on mm-hmm. then we're all going to be better off um and we're not going to end up dead in a lodge in in west yeah. massachusetts um yeah. because yeah it's not they're both both grace and laura are wanting to be prim and proper women for richard which is why right. they're they're hiding, and I hate that. Yeah. I hate that they feel like they can't be messy, even though he fucking knows everything, or should know everything about Grace. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, that's the thing with the with Laura smiling after she's just, her, her, her entire world just got shattered. Right. She learns that she is not, that it's really over. There is not a glimmer of hope that her and Richard will get back together. 
and that her family yeah. will be one again. Um, it's also and, interesting. To, oh, sorry. And yet she smiles and walks away because yeah. she's not wanting to show how upset she is about it because she still wants to look attractive. She puts on lipstick in the car. Yeah. She still wants to be this attractive, perfect wife for Richard. And the same thing goes for Grace. Oof. And that's where I think that it's kind of it's interesting because again like i said the hysterical woman you know like trademark thing Mm -hmm. the pendulum has swung the opposite way and that's still not good got you is basically what i'm saying yeah huh i just i i love hearing your takes on things um thank you (laughs) yeah i I do want to come back to like i do think it is the commentary on men and women women's mental health i also think it's interesting to point out or important to point out the uh, the connection between I mean, the importance of Laura being a staunch Catholic mm-hmm. and divorce and mm-hmm. what that does to you because totally. it's not allowed. It's not they allowed. They literally split the church up over it. Mm-hmm. Like you are not supposed to get divorced, and like Catholic people get divorced, but it's with Laura's intense faith in Catholicism. Yeah, that's where I think that's I think it, that's where I, I think it still manages to be commentary. Right, right. Because I think it's also an indictment of religion and yes. what that does to your mental health. Yes, because she sees she sees her marriage failing as the ultimate failure. Mm-hmm. Like that she has failed and that she cannot continue to live because her uh, marriage has failed. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree with the indictment of um, religion. And I think as it correlates to mental health and thinking what it does to your mental health is some of the comment there too. Yes. And and we're talking about like patriarchal structures mm -hmm. because Catholicism is very much that. Uh, I think that that's, I I still think it's an, that these are like all the reasons that I think it's like an indictment of men and how we view women's mental health. Totally, totally. And I think that, um, I hope that that's how other people see this because mm-hmm. I only hope that we, you know, don't get set back. <laughs> yeah. A thousand years or whatever, or even just like 10 years. But like, yeah, I, I hope that that's what people take away from this movie is that like your, your women friends could be going through something. You should listen to them. Yes. You should... create a safe space for them especially if you're their partner yeah bro and it's so it it, the whole indictment of um religion is really interesting and i think you're totally spot on with that um because there is the trope of the new woman Mm -hmm. in someone's life and often in movies they're parallels to their ex right um and but they're showing two different sides of that theme which mm-hmm. is re- how religion can affect your mental health. In Grace, it's way more extreme. It's the most extreme it possibly could be. Right. In my opinion. With Laura, it's almost like it's it's micro, but not but we learn it's not, if that makes yes. sense. Yes, it's like, not on the nose with her. You find yes. that out through exposure to what her kids believe, to yes. her funeral, to the what the lodge itself looks like. Yeah. Exactly, which is kind of cool. As you're uncovering Laura's shit, you're mm-hmm. uncovering um, Grace's shit as well through yeah. the same iconography. Yeah, but you know, completely so different sides of it, and I love that. Yeah, that's where the parallels end up intersecting mm-hmm. is at the lodge, which is <laughs> the title of the movie. So cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I think that this film is really thought provoking. I would, um, I would definitely recommend it uh, to people. Yeah. I would love to hear other people's thoughts on it because mine clearly, you know, obviously isn't the only one. Um, <laughs> sure. Ours is not the only one. Yeah. I mean, that's... I did also want to drop in. Yeah. Uh, one of the really cool cinematography things that happens throughout this. Yes. We've always talked, we've talked a lot on this about how one of the best things to do in a horror movie is to remove one's sense of architecture. Yes. You absolutely get that, but you get it doubly because there's the dollhouse that Mia has. Oh my god! With yeah, Dad, her, uh, Aiden, and her mom. That's where the that's where the mom doll comes from. Yes, and it's a model of the lodge. God, kids with dolls—they really used. <laughs> they really, they really <laughs> went there. You know, they really yeah. went there. It's cool though. Yeah, I love, I love all of those um, shots of the dollhouse um, and how it just kind of adds. 
this movie is just a big old pile of like eerie dread, you yeah, know, and yeah. it just adds more to it. Um, and we- then also I love that you've got this, the law, I mean, like I said, I, I was mistakenly calling it a cabin earlier, but it is a lodge and I assume it's because it's bigger, but it feels, all of these shots, they feel so claustrophobic, which is such a cool dichotomy yeah. to the openness that is like this blizzard that's happening and and they're in the middle of nowhere in massachusetts and yet it feels so close there's so much space but it feels so claustrophobic yeah it's interesting i do love that um i would contrast this with uh the pretty i'm the pretty thing that lives in the house yes where that is a i mean we we called it a tone poem and it is a tone poem yeah so is this yeah, because, yeah, not much happens, but so much does. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's so much better executed. Yes. In terms of uh, just literally everything, just from the acting to the writing to the, the visual storytelling. They're both very pretty. You're both locked in a house, I think, in Massachusetts in both of them. And, like, yeah. I, I would just contrast it with that where we kind of chat all over that film. And uh, this is the version of that film I wanted to see. Gotcha. Like, this is what that movie should have been in my mind. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why I love it even more is saying it's like the sort of um, catharsis of seeing a really, really well done yeah. tone poem about haunting mental illness, uh, uh, women and their relationships to men and things like that. I think totally. this is a much cooler version of that and a awesome. much better executed one. Yeah. 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 Awesome. I, I really enjoyed this conversation about this this film yeah it was a fun one yeah so you guys know where to find us we are at horror babes podcast on instagram horrorbabespod.com and horror at horror babes pod on twitter uh we want to give a quick shout out to seth haken for our dope theme song thank you so much we, we love, you, love buddy. you and yeah until next time bye, bye babes, babes. Yeah, babe.